It's okay to suffer. On today's episode, we chat with Jeffrey Ritter, a director and the corporate secretary of the World Ultra Cycling Association, or WUCA as it's abbreviated, and he's an ultra cyclist himself with the recumbent bicycle being his ride of choice. And there's a hair-raising story to go along with that one. For over 40 years, Jeffrey has practiced law with a focus on technology law and has taught at the University of Oxford and other graduate level programs in the Washington DC area here in the US. He's even testified before the US Senate. His recent cycling accomplishments include winning the 12 hour recumbent US National Time Trial Championship, fifth place overall in the six hour nationals, and first place in the 12 hour recumbent world championship in Borrego Springs, California. Hold on tight, it's going to be a fun one. I'm your host, Justin Tu. Let's roll. Hey, Ultra Family, Justin Tu here, your host of the Ultra Cycling Show. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode with Jeffrey Ritter, a director and the corporate secretary of the World Ultra Cycling Association, or WUCA as it's abbreviated. Jeffrey, thanks for joining us on the show today. Thank you, Justin. It's a pleasure. You've been doing a great job uh, making us more aware of ultra cycling and have had some uh, great interviews already. I feel like I have some big shoes to fill joining you today, but <laughs> I'll do my best. Yeah, well, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. And thanks for all that you do through WUCA. We've had the president, of course, your good friend, Mark Poland, on the show twice yep. before. One oh, specifically, twice. yeah, actually the first <laughs> time specifically about WUCA and everything that it's all about, you know, allowing myself and others to get to know what you as an organization, you guys are doing and what's coming up ahead. And that's what I'm excited to chat with you about today as well, the future of WUCA. But also in the second episode, we were discussing his world record that he actually ended up setting. And that was very exciting. So just like yourself, avid cyclist. So we're glad that we have some very competitive and active ultra cyclists sitting on the board there at WUCA. Yeah, well, Jeffrey, would love to start since you are a cyclist yourself with a quick sprint round of questions, just a fun <laughs> series of questions to get to know you in a fun way. And then we'll dive into your cycling, all of your com competitions, and also what you're up to there at WUCA. So Jeffrey, first question, of course, is how long have you even been riding bicycles? Let's see, I'm 66. I started when I was eight, so uh, 58 years. <laughs> wow, nice. Jeez, 58. That I wonder, I think that might be a show record, Jeffrey. <laughs> Only we'll because see. of my own advanced age, I suspect. <laughs> <laughs> now, how long have you been an ultra cyclist? Um, back in 2014, I had come back from my second trip uh, in 2013 to the Alps and had said, okay, this is a bucket list that's been completed more than once. What else is there out there? And I thought it would be really cool to try to qualify uh, at age 60 uh, for the race across America. Uh, as you know, it's, it, it is a challenging experience. Uh, and uh, there's not that many people at that age that even consider qualifying. And so I thought that would be a really neat challenge to embrace. Uh, I'd been doing uh, local uh, USA Cycling and Mid-Atlantic bicycle racing events uh, before that, um, focusing more on time trials and doing all right in them. 
and uh, just decided that this would be the cool thing. I had a friend who kept teasing me that I always took the wrong direction just to make the routes longer on our <laughs> rides. And uh, I decided to prove him right and, and as go long, so to speak. Mm. So it's been about six years. Okay. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And just in six years, you've done quite a lot. And there's some interesting stories that we'll get into about how you ended up on a recumbent. But yeah. Jeffrey, how many bicycles do you own? One, two, three, four, five. And nice. then I have three frames on the wall. One is the very first bicycle, I, very first 10 speed I had in high school. Uh, it's not ex the exact bike. But about six years ago, I found uh, the same bicycle. It's a Peugeot U08 from 1970, nice. 1971. And I had to buy that one. <laughs> that's so cool. So would you yeah. say that's your, your favorite one? Well, it's the favorite one on the wall, but I don't ride that one. Yeah, uh, yeah. My, my favorites are my recumbents, and I have two of those. Cool. Nice. Now, what kind of bicycle computer do you use? Do you use a Garmin or a Yeah, I'm on, I'm on Garmin for just about everything. Uh, the computer, the pedals, the uh, radar, and and things. Okay, yep. nice. So it sounds like then you probably track some of your power metrics. How about heart rate? Oh yeah, absolutely. I'm yeah, data geek on a bike. <laughs> now, how about how about functional threshold power? Do you worry about that at all? Do you ever test that? Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, the good thing as uh, being a recumbent cyclist is I can on the road. Uh, get much more speed and efficiency on a recumbent with a lower power. Uh, when right. I get onto a Zwift ride, like yesterday, I did a team time trial. Uh, all my aerodynamic advantages on a recumbent disappear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is actually very true. Kind of levels the playing field there. It's not as fun, I suppose, but I do have this very nice photo of you with uh, what a beautiful recumbent you have. Tell me a little bit about that. Uh, sure. Well, that's a cruise bike as the manufacturer, and they have a variety of uh, bicycles uh, frames based on the seat angle that the seat has. Now, this one is right. called a Silvio 3.0. The seat is just under uh, 30 degrees from the ground, so it's about a 28-degree seat. Mm. Uh, their super fast bicycle has a seat that's only at 22 degrees. So you're basically laying on your back and looking over your, uh, you know, you know your, your chest to be able to ride that one. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's, it's nice. Uh, the, the great thing about the cruise bike design is that it has front wheel drive. So if you take a look, you realize that uh, the configuration of the bicycle uh, with the front wheel drive looks just like a regular bicycle just turned mm. 90 degrees so i have the same power efficiency uh the same i don't lose power through a four foot chain to the rear wheel and all of the components except for the frame itself uh are standard so i can easily put switch out cranks chains cassettes uh chain uh chain guards etc just you know when i need them Right, right. Yeah, that's really cool. And in fact, you know, um, I must say we've had another recumbent rider on the show before, Jason Perez. And I think you two probably know each other. Well, Jason is also a cruise bike uh, passionate fan. Right, and, exactly. uh, and I will say that, though, I don't think we've uh, met face to face because last year he was not at the World Championships in Borrego Springs. Uh, he's a powerhouse on the bike and yeah. uh, he's a great athlete. 
Yeah, I believe one year in the 24, he, he placed second behind Christoph Strasser, right? I believe that's correct. That? Yeah. Mm, yep. yeah. Yeah. So I've actually ridden with him quite a bit when he was living up here in Northern California for quite some time. We were riding on almost a daily basis as part of a lunchtime ride here locally. Yep. And so I have quite a bit of experience riding with him, both in races and also just in training rides. Now he does also ride a nice trek uh, upright bike, but mm -hmm. his preference, especially for the longer rides, is the cruise bike because I understand, and I guess just common sense looking at it, it looks very comfortable. And of course, you do have those aerodynamic advantages, which makes it quite fun, especially if you enjoy going downhill, which he does as an ex-professional motorcycle racer. And I've had many occasions where we'd be descending together, a motorcycle would uh, would pass me, and then almost catch up to him. But once you get on the technical turns on the descent, uh, Jason will actually be beating a lot of the motorcycles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. That sounds like him. Yeah. That sounds so, like him. Jeffrey, do you um, like going fast down? Are you comfortable going fast down with the, the recumbent? I mean, you go very fast, um, perhaps even in the weight. Uh, tell me about your bike. Does it weigh more than, say, 15, 16 pounds, kind of an average road bike? Is yours about oh, 20 yeah. to 25 or so? I think it's about 24 okay. pounds. Uh, it's so, probably a little less because of the carbon wheels. And, right, right. And, now, going downhill, what's your max speed on the recumbent? Do you know? Uh, we, we occasionally come back from rides, and I have to give my wife an apology. Uh, our, our agreed limit in the household is 35. And uh, I know guys that will go faster. And I once, when I was uh, riding regular bikes, came off of Mount Tam down to the beach, towards Stinson Beach. And I looked oh, yeah. down at my speedometer and saw I was going 62 miles an hour on the descent. And I said, okay, that's too fast. I want to live. Hit <laughs> 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 the brakes. Yeah, no, uh, that's good. But that's on the bent, I, I hold it at, at a max of 35. Okay. Yeah, very good. I've had my thrills. I, 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 oh, yeah. I'll stay upright. I could imagine in 58 years of riding, I think you've probably done enough. <laughs> okay, what what ride snack do you enjoy when you're racing or training? Well, uh, I've become a devotee of all of the Hammer products. Uh, hmm. A couple of years ago, I was introduced to Hammer by another ultra cyclist. And uh, to be very straightforward, that's what fuels my riding. Uh, I've, I, I enjoy... Uh, there are vitamins and supplements that go, you know, into me in the morning. Uh, I have a, a series of things that they recommend for uh, before workouts, during workouts, post-workouts, and then certainly during racing. Uh, you know, I tend, I might, my favorites are the 12-hour races. Um, and, uh, you know, I was surprised last year as I started into this to uh, realize I can go full 12 hours just on the liquid uh, hammer nutrition and Ooh. not need to eat anything and have any stomach indigestion issues that other That's people great. complain about. So it's been a very successful relationship. Yeah, glad to hear. It's always a tricky thing to figure out your nutrition and it takes all of us as ultra cyclists some time to figure that out for ourselves. But once we do, then we can really hit the ground running. But glad you figured that out and found some good products. Yeah. So so you like the Hammer uh, brand of products. How about if you're just finishing a nice, long, hard 12-hour time trial, for example? What's your favorite post-ride meal? What do you enjoy eating as a celebratory meal afterwards? <laughs> <laughs> or just to get all the calories in you need to recover? Oh, probably just pizza. <laughs> oh, okay. 
Now, what toppings do you like on your pizza? Well, I'm vegan. So uh, one of the challenges is, is getting the right combination. But we have, a, a, we have serious tricks of taking uh, tofu cubes or some ground up uh, tofu uh, airsats meat and uh, throwing that onto a pizza when we need to. Yeah, cool. No, sounds good. Okay. When was your last ride and how long was it? Well, if we include indoor riding, uh, yesterday I did one of the uh, team time trials on Zwift and nice. uh, it was a nice 40K. No, that was just a 30K ride. Uh, outdoors uh, was in the North Carolina, South Carolina time trial championships about three weeks ago. And cool. I'd been building up to that. And that was a 40K, 25 mile time trial. Wow. Very nice. Some good training, still very active. Now, I do want to pause there for a second, just let folks know that you definitely enjoy racing on your recumbent. And in 2019, you did win the 12-hour recumbent U.S. National Time Trial Championship. You also took fifth place in the six-hour, and both for the regular and recumbents. And then you did win the 12-hour recumbent world championship uh, there at Borrego Springs, right? On the recumbents, yep. Yeah. So very yep. cool. So very active and also very competitive. It's good to know that you're riding fast on that recumbent, which uh, must be always a thrill. Well, it, you know, there's a certain, I don't know, arrogance to being now in the second half of my you know, 60s. And, uh, you know, even on the climbs and much less on the flats, just kind of casually going by people. Uh, years ago, I remember a friend of mine complaining when he was on his first trip to the Alps, he'd be, you know, he was in his late 40s, he was strong, he was fit, and he was going up some of those climbs. And then this guy in his 70s would just kind of boom, 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 right past him. <laughs> and, and, yeah. and on my recumbent, uh, I'm surprised how frequently I'm that, that old fart that comes by you and just smile on his face. Yeah, yeah that, no, that's great. Actually, strange enough, one time, well, I love recumbents. I think they're awesome. Wish I could uh, learn to ride one someday. And I know it was, it's challenging to just learn it for the first time. Uh, according to Jason Perez, he told me it took him a little while. And in a very short amount of time, he got the recumbent from cruise bike. And then I think it's just a matter of a couple of weeks at most. He was out there in Borrego Springs doing the 24-hour. And so he, he, um, he told me many stories about getting used to it. But now that he's used to it, he loves it. It's very comfortable, many other things. And I have a bunch of other photos here, some <laughs> that you've sent and others of which I thought were great from your Facebook. And of course, here's the, the beauty <laughs> itself. Now, yeah. does she have a name? Uh, Buckeye 2. Uh, uh, I was born and raised, well, not technically born there, but practically yeah. uh, in Ohio. And uh, ah. my father was on the faculty of the Ohio State University. And nice. so uh, I, I, I'm affectionately fond of Buckeyes. I am one. And uh, this is Buckeye 2 is actually a special name since there's one other bike that well, I'm sure we'll be talking about in a few minutes. It was Buckeye 1. Ah, and, yes, uh, yes, yes. And that's it. Now, yeah. this must have been from Borrego, right? These photos? Correct. Yep. Very cool. Well, you have a great setup there. I like I like the back, the storage there. It looks like there's even a bottle. I think this image you could see it best. Uh, there's two bottle holders there. Yeah. And we worked out the um, the drinking tube so that uh, I just it usually is sitting right over my shoulder. And so I just have to have a gentle pull up to drink and I have to stop, you know, worry about the balance to go back and pull. 
Yeah, very cool. Bottle out. Now, is this storage or the bottle holders, is this um, something custom built or you could just buy this off the shelf? It, it's available from Cruise Bike. Oh. Um, and the uh, you can use it that way. Uh, in earlier races where, like at Sebring, where you have a first loop of over 100 miles, uh, we'll replace the bottles with a bladder. And the bladder sits inside there. The tube comes out. I drink from that. Uh, so I can carry more than a couple bottles worth, which in Florida for a hundred miles, you're going to want more than that. And so that worked out very well as an option. Yeah, no, cool. Well, you're looking very, very cool and fast on this. Must be <laughs> well, a that picture, to ride. You can look at the sun and you can tell that I probably was on the bike at that point by for uh, 10 or 11 hours. So, <laughs> yeah, no, that that's very cool. A lot of fun adventures there. So, uh, Jeffrey, do you prefer climbs, descent, rollers, or flats? Well, on the recumbent, I will say I prefer flats. Um, last summer, as I was uh, continuing to master the bike, was the first time that I was able to do a long 3,000-foot climb. And that was kind of a big deal to mm. be finally strong enough on the recumbent to climb it's out on the blue ridge parkway and uh that was a big deal here where i live it's constant rollers i mean mm -hmm. it's hard to ride less than a thousand feet of climbing every 10 miles uh i mean just yeah. you know it's, it's rolling up and down all over here which is is great but you never have anything that's uh more than say 10 or 11 percent there's a couple that are longer mm. and you just got to dig in right. with the recumbent. It's really a gearing issue. Um, uh, if you're going to have a lot of climbs, just like any cyclist, you're going to change your gear ratio. Um, the advantage of the seat being more elevated and more straight up is it really makes a huge difference in the physics. What, what's yeah. fascinating on a recumbent is you're pushing forward with your feet but your weight and all the laws of physics are going in the opposite direction. Uh, if we're on a traditional yeah. road bike, at least I've got my weight up parallel over my power. Whereas in my case, I'm actually pedaling my power uphill and everything is working in the opposite direction. <laughs> um, the yeah. trick then is for the recumbent is to actually come up off the seat and stand uh -huh. quote unquote, Huh. Uh, and, and something that actually ends up re very much resembling the position of the guy that's on the image behind you, who's standing on his pedals. It's just that I'm 90 degrees off of that position. So there's a lot of a uh, lot more uh, upper body work than you would expect in that position. And so we work a lot on that to be stronger on the climbs because you really. Uh, the nice thing about the particular bike that I ride is you can you can pull your way up the mountain in much the same way that you would do so on a regular bike. I uh, see. Very interesting. Thanks for sharing that. I will mention that that guy there is actually me. Standing, <laughs> even though I'm not uh, going up a very steep climb, but, you know, just had to make a nice shot for the photo. <laughs> Absolutely. But, you know, on the subject of climbing, Jason Perez did also share with us his experiences with not just learning how to ride a recumbent, but also riding very steep climbs. Some of the double centuries here in California is part of the three-part ep uh, episodes that we did with him. One of them was the Devil Mountain double century. And of course, as part of that, you go up Sierra Road, something very infamous here in Northern California. Sure. You'll get 12 to 15% there. And of course, as a new recumbent rider, 
perhaps you didn't figure out all those tricks the first time that you just discussed. And so it's been an interesting journey for him. But even now, he's very strong on the recumbent, even climbing. So people are surprised to see that because, of course, yeah. it is heavier. And you would think that perhaps there's a disadvantage, but he's a very strong rider in general. So that's awesome to hear. Jeffrey, when do you enjoy riding the most? Which season, fall, winter, spring, or summertime? Uh, one of the reasons we came to North Carolina is because we don't have those distinct seasons. Um, oh. Winter is pretty mild here. Uh, and so it, it's hard for me to draw that line. Um, I actually don't mind the heat in the summer, uh, but you just have to be prepared for it. Uh, it's not unusual here to have uh, in the month of July or August, you know, 25 days above 90 degrees. So you have to be prepared for that. Yeah, good good training. And of course, in 2014, you were training for the Race Across America. And we'll get to that story here after a couple more sprint round of questions. <laughs> sure. Next one is, what time of day do you prefer riding? Uh, morning. Morning time. Okay, pretty common. Now, when it comes to ultra cycling, what do you think? Does it require more physical or mental training? The physical training is a prerequisite the mental training is the harder training effort hmm. you you have to really get comfortable with being uncomfortable hmm. and discover that it's okay to suffer hmm. um and that that that's a mental discipline that the sport challenges and so i think you can't be an out of shape person that can sit on a bike for 12 hours Hmm. Uh, you've got to be physically fit to survive something like that or 24 or, or, or some of the even longer distances. Hmm. Uh, I just, it just, that's not, but still having the mental discipline. Um, you know, I think that those of us do ultra cycling are very much like the marathon runners is hmm. that there's only three, four times a year you can peak. And part of that is because it just hurts. And it, unless you're just truly a masochist, you're not going to ride 15, you know, you know, 24 hour races a year because it's just, you know, then yeah. you're just crazy. Uh, we're rational at 12 hours and 24 <laughs> or one Ram a year, you know? <laughs> right. Unless perhaps you're Christoph Strasser or one of those elite athletes who are, you know, doing a lot of big rides, a lot of world records all within one year. And well, glad that they do get a rest every year. But I'm, it's very I'm, true. I'm impressed. I'm not that type of athlete. <laughs> I'm not there. Yeah, most of us aren't, but it's, uh, it's fun to watch. But yes. I like what you said, Jeffrey, very true words of wisdom that, you know, really training to tell yourself and your brain and to train your body and your mind that, that it's okay to suffer. I think that's, that's very true. And it's difficult to do that because like you said, you have to get comfortable with getting uncomfortable and that discomfort is always kind of there no matter what. But like you said, just training your mind to adapt to that and to be okay with it is, is key. So thanks for sharing those nuggets with us. You've done a lot of ultra cycling through the years. Wondering as a last question here, what's your favorite event? Uh, well, generally, I do like the 12 hours. Um, I, I think for certain reasons, I just would love to do some 24-hour things. But last year, we all had planned to do Sebring, uh, uh, which is a great 24-hour course because the night loops are supposed to be on the track 
of Sebring Racecourse, and so they're safe and there's no cars. At the last minute, that became a non-viable option, and I just didn't like riding at night at two in the morning with people that are probably 50% chance they're inebriated at two in the morning, and I'm just this little red dot on the side of the road that they see. Um, I, I'd, I'd rather not deal with that risk. So 12-hour events. And um, I have to say, I've, I really did enjoy Borrego Springs. It's just a perfect place to just go long and keep going and keep going. Yeah, it's a fun place. It can get pretty hot, but I guess you are used to some heat there, like you said. It gets in the 90s for quite a few days out there during the summertime where you are. Well, and it's the humidity. I, my first ultra race was the Mid-Atlantic uh, Championship in August 2017. And uh, I know that the heat index got up to about 127 that day. Sheesh, yeah. Very hot. You have to get comfortable with that kind of heat. That's the right. thing to do. Okay, well, thanks for going through that sprint round with me, Jeffrey. I am eager now to turn our attention to Buckeye One. <laughs> Tell me All that right. story and how you ended up on the beautiful recumbent that you are on. I'll try to be brief. Um, in 2014, as I said, I came back with the idea of qualifying for ramp. And uh, on August 1, uh, I was out trying, we were test riding the Ohio qualification course in part because I mentioned before I grew up in Ohio. And when you look at the course details, you actually realize that the race was starting and finishing on the exact same roads in which I'd fallen in love with road racing and road cycling. Mm. And I thought, oh, that, how cool at this end of my life to go back and qualify for Ram there. Mm. Um, 15, 18 miles out. Um, uh, was driving along. My wife was driving SAG, uh, and we were going to do about 150 miles each day of the 400 mile course. Mm. Um, and she said, well, I'll just stop and get some water. No problem. Mm. Uh, so I was riding alone and the next thing I knew I woke up and I had, uh, gone over the side of a bridge had fallen wow. 23 feet and was looking up to the underside of a rusty bridge in the Ohio countryside. And we police investigated, they concluded there was no one who had swiped me off the road. The best we could figure is I was out on my extensions. I was coming down a little five degree descent over a, what was a river, but looked like a Creek. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, there was a mismatch between the tarmac and the bridge hit that wiggled out and just happened to be on a bridge. So when I <laughs> tried to gain control, I hit the side of the bridge and went over. I have oh. no recollection at all. That's oh just goodness. a reconstruction. Uh, the last, <laughs> you know, the last memory I have was stopping in the town prior to that to just send a text message to Jane to say, I'm going to ride through. You can catch up with me in a few miles. And oh so goodness. that, you know, I woke up and I became conscious and I, I, the hell am I doing under a bridge? I was supposed to be in a cornfield. And as I became more coherent, I realized I was in deep trouble uh, because no one could see me from the road Hmm. uh, having fallen so far. Um, I felt the weight of my cell phone on my hip, my jersey twisted a little bit. I thought, well, maybe if I can not kill myself by reaching for my phone and it was clear things were broken that, mm. you know, I could have a rib that's just ready to puncture 
my my carotid artery. I could have, you know, a, a lung puncture that's going to start lacerating if I move the wrong way. Mm -hmm. I very slowly got to the phone, pulled it up to my eyes, and realized I was still alive. But I'd lost my glasses. <laughs> I couldn't tell <laughs> what's on the phone. Oh my goodness! <laughs> but I was able to call my wife and uh, say I was down. It was bad. I was under a bridge. And then I passed out again. Wow. Um, she started driving along, came to the bridge, and she's the story of courage because she had to stop the car and look over and see if her husband was dead or alive. And mm. uh, she called down, and I actually was, I, I responded. And uh, we changed the direction of my life with that moment. Wow, what a story. Jeffrey, well, glad you could live to talk about it. But not only that, I think it's just inspiring that you're on a bike again. Of course, you're on a recumbent for a reason, and I'd love for you to share about that. But it's sure. really inspiring to see how competitive you have been. And back on the bike, I wouldn't know the difference, but you're well, doing great now. Yeah. Um, as it turned out, um, they called the squad. They couldn't get me out of the gully. Uh, it was so steep. And they actually dropped the... the uh, bodyboard I was on uh, as they are, their own feet slipped trying to carry me up. They finally dragged me up the side. Bum, 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 bum. Me, oh. it turns out uh, I broke a rib. The sternum had split in half just as if you would have a open heart surgery Wow! because I landed on a boulder and that saved my life because imagine it had been six inches difference and I would have hit that boulder with my face. Mm. Um, uh, the a friend of mine is a physicist and he played with the numbers and concluded with the, the motion, the speed, the body weight and the drop that I was probably going 28 miles an hour when I hit that boulder. Wow. Um, the whiplash is what really did the damage because then I broke C5, C6, C7, T1 and T2. So over half the length of your neck uh, was, was impaired or damaged. And so they got me to the hospital. And <clears throat> one of my favorite stories is, you know, they, they got me up to the road. And as they uh, looked, they, they were going to slide me now under the guardrail. And here I am. And, and the, the, the uh, EMT reaches down and says, I don't want your nose to get scraped. <laughs> and so she bends her <laughs> my nose. <laughs> it was that tight going under the guardrail. Helicoptering back to the, uh, to the, hospital in town in Columbus. I'm actually coherent through all this time. I'm talking mm. uh, with, the, with the EMTs on the helicopter. Get to the hospital. They say, for anyone who ever ends up in a trauma unit, be prepared because the first thing they do is they cut off your clothes. Mm. And so I'm on a body board with a neck brace, butt naked, and mm. about 20 nurses and doctors running around me. <laughs> the doctor to my left says, actually has my helmet, which they brought mm. back to look for cranial damage or injury. Mm. And he's, all this is being recorded. He says, uh, helmet inspection complete, no evidence of, of physical impact on the helmet. But boy, it's a nice helmet. It's the same one I have. <laughs> I was in there, I say, oh, really? Do you ride casually or are you racing? <laughs> he says, just casually, what about you? I know I was training to race across America. And at that moment, Justin, there was this whoosh in the room of people just like, what? <laughs> and wow. I think it helped 
assure my recovery because they then realized I wasn't just a dumb weekend old guy fart, mm -hmm. but actually it was, as we all are, ultra athletes. And uh, they took it seriously. Hmm. So the next morning, uh, um, I'd survived the night, which actually was a bit risky, uh, a bit touch and go. Um, hmm. My breathing had dropped to the point that it's what they call the death rattle, which hmm. is uh, under five breaths a minute. Wow. And uh, uh, the alarm kept going off. And I asked the nurse, why is this alarm going off? And he says, because your body wants to die. Wow. And Jeez. I said, do you want to die? And I said, no. And so he brought the oxygen up to max and held my hand. And 20 minutes later, I was out, out of that. Well, the next morning, I'm on the gurney going into surgery. And this, the top neurosurgeon and the trauma unit in all of Ohio happens to be on duty. So he's going to take care of me. He's holding my hand. He says, look, I don't know. We may need a couple surgeries. You got some stuff that's broken. And uh, do you have any questions? I looked at him. I said, uh, well, yeah. I, will I be able to fly to teach for the first time at the University of Oxford? And he just has this look on his face that can only be described by the acronym WTF. <laughs> <laughs> and he looks at my wife and her eyebrows go up and says, yeah, this is him. And he said, what, when would that be? And I said, well, actually, sir, eight weeks from today. Hmm. And he kind of squeezed my hand and said, let's make that your goal. Hmm. And Indeed, eight weeks later, still in a full neck brace, uh, but cleared for travel. I insisted I go on my own, and I got on the plane and flew to London and took the train to Oxford and had the chance to fulfill a career, unexpected uh, career first time, which was to teach at the University of Oxford and was still in my, you know, my neck brace and recovering. <laughs> Oh, Jeffrey, thank you so much for sharing that story with us. Definitely hair-raising, terrifying, but an astounding recovery, I'd say. And again, in recapping what you did, you know, in racing on your recumbent now because of the difficulty riding upright, but you're still riding a lot and you're also able to ride competitively. So I think it gives hope to those who have suffered injuries, life-threatening or just very debilitating ones, that it is possible to get back up and keep going. But perhaps you have to make a couple adjustments here and there. And I can only imagine that that was very difficult for you initially and in the first few years after that, especially since you were there in the prime of your fitness training for the Race Across America. And I'm sure there was uh, a lot of heartache around that and difficulty accepting the circumstances, but glad you were able to be so resilient. And of course, we are sitting here today. And uh, geez, I couldn't tell the difference, Jeffrey. I, I, yeah, great surgeon. Uh, that's, mm. that's number one. Uh, yeah, what they ended up doing was uh, C5, C6, and C7 that uh, removed the disc, uh, impact, uh, compacted cadaver bone in, put titanium rods in to screw it into the, into the, uh, into the vertebrae. And then T1 and T2 is a carbon fiber U-bolt. So the good thing, Justin, is between the carbon fiber and the titanium, I'm much lighter. And so <laughs> <laughs> All right, I think hear. that's improved me on the climbs. Okay. Uh, but uh, <laughs> the hardest part of the recovery was uh, a year later, um, after I got back from Oxford, I doctor had said to me properly, remember Peyton Manning, he broke his neck and uh, he wasn't allowed to play for a year. And I said, mm -hmm. yeah. I said, well, you're not allowed back on a bike for a year. Wow. I said, you mean outside, right? 
he said, yeah. Well, it turns out this was just a few months, a few weeks after Zwift had launched into beta. And so I made an application, was accepted into the second beta group. And because I couldn't ride a conventional bike, because the, all this hardware keeps me from looking up, hmm. um, I put the computer screen on the floor so that I could be on the bike and looking down over wow. my front wheel to be able to, to continue to stay fit. Yeah. Uh, but that first anniversary came and uh, I got bike out. And we got on it and within a mile, I knew I'd never be able to ride normally again because I don't mm. have the flexibility in my neck to mm. take that position where, you know, we actually are looking up right, right. to be able to see the road when we're in a down position. Mm. And so, yeah, uh, mild to severe depression. Uh, but then I saw this video of somebody going up Galibier on a recumbent. Huh. And I said, holy shit you're kidding me i mean i thought those were really old site people you know but this mm. guy is you know young and going up the mountain i just went up a year and a half ago and then i saw videos of people racing these suckers <laughs> and it okay game on yeah. and uh i i did my research um, we had since moved down here. My wife had retired from her federal career and I could work from anywhere I had a keyboard. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I came down here and discovered cruise bikes were just engineered smartly, in my opinion. And uh, uh, Jim and Maria lived a couple of hours away. I called them, mm -hmm. told them I'm sorry, could I come down and meet them? Did. They lent me, a, they lent me uh, my first recumbent to see if i could ride it wow. and it took about uh three weeks to get down the driveway hmm. but it wasn't because the bike was was difficult it was my own confidence it had to regain itself hmm. uh, and uh, then heaven stopped i mean i put <laughs> my wife on recumbent and took her through the proper way to learn right. and she was able to ride uh without falling first time incredible that's awesome minutes. 20 minutes into it. So it's actually not hard to, to master. Mm. Uh, it, it is a little more challenging when you've broken your neck in half. <laughs> well, Jeffrey, again, thanks for sharing that story. Really sure. glad that you were able to make enough of recovery. Well, first of all, to live, but then also <laughs> to make a recovery, which is astounding in itself, to be able to ride again. And I'm excited to see what else you do going forward. Uh, I know you are still very young, so there's a lot of road ahead. <laughs> Now, out of curiosity, what was the brand of the of a Buckeye One, the bike that you were riding? Um, when I went over the bridge, uh, I released from the pedals, and in fact, it was the bicycle standing straight up in the tall grass that my oh. wife saw from the road. <laughs> and she said, "Oh, you know, holy cow! There's there's his bike. He must be close by." <laughs> uh, but it was in perfect shape. Uh, we inspected it, and uh, I eventually uh, sold it to one of my teammates. Uh, so it's continued to have a good life. Oh, that's that's great to hear. No, glad that uh, it, it survived so well. <laughs> yeah, it was it was, it was on, and and I did not have a single scratch on my entire uh, exterior. There was not a single blood marking or anything, huh. which made it all the more strange because uh, wow. you know. 
it, I should have just been broken in half and bones <laughs> sticking out. And um, none, none of that. What a story. What a story. Glad you can tell it. <laughs> Thanks for I sharing. I am too. I like it. It's yeah. hard to share. This is only the second time I've talked to anyone other than personal mm. conversation about it. So mm. uh, I'm happy to do so. Yeah. Well, Jeffrey, thanks for that. And of course, more than just being an avid competitive cyclist yourself, you are also involved with the World Ultra Cycling Association. So I'd love to turn our attention there for a few minutes to sure. chat about what you're doing there and then what's the future holding, including the new website revamp that is underway. Sure. Well, uh, anyone that knows me knows that I'm always uh, committed to paying forward. And the ultra cycling community did so much to bring me back uh, to being fit and capable and competitive. So I thought that was the right thing to, to do. And they took note of some of my background and clearly practicing law. They said, oh, we could have a lawyer on the board. This could be really helpful. <laughs> and so I've, I've done a fair amount of work around internet and, and websites and stuff. So I, I accepted their invitation to join. And then as this COVID hit, uh, when races got canceled left and right and left and right and right and left and up and down, uh, the board recognized this may actually be an opportunity for us to uh, redesign uh, WUCA uh, and to move uh, ultra cycling to a higher level of awareness and, and participation. Mm. Uh, one of the things the board uh, completed before I joined just at the turn of the year was a detailed marketing study in which uh, professional marketing folks interviewed uh, companies, riders, uh, non-riders, members, non-members, crew members, uh, promoters to try to understand where the movement had to be directed to, to, to just give the organization a fresh momentum. And I think one of the things that uh, was most conspicuous to me was that it was still remarkably U.S. centric in its orientation. Uh, and okay. even when we uh, announced New Jersey's and, and again, right as I was joining the board, they paid to develop new championship jerseys. The North American championship jersey, which would include Canada, is this has the red, white, and blue colors of the United States. <laughs> it's like we got to change this. Hmm. Um, so I think the, the 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 starting point of where the association is going is to redefine and embrace the global level of activity and the global interest in ultra cycling. Uh, we're seeing, yeah, that's the one that uh, I got the year prior and they kept that design pretty much for the, uh, for the, for the North American championship. Um, but the, um, the, the, you know, we have, we have ultra cyclists in India. We have uh, the new tour of Poland that's starting next year. Mm -hmm. There's a race around Austria. There's, there's races in France. There's things that are happening in the race around Ireland, just all sorts of places that aren't North America. Mm -hmm. And um, we should be embracing all of those and, and helping grow the sport uh, through three things. Uh, one, uh, helping promoters run good races. Uh, that means helping them understand the rules that they need to have, the guidelines for having safe, fast racing, um, mm -hmm. just knowing all the little things that make a race good, 
like you know, coordinating with police, coordinating with EMTs, uh, arranging proper housing, uh, getting the porta potties in sufficient quantities. <laughs> There's a lot to putting these things on, and we hope to have a uh, one of the features of the new website will be a promoter toolkit that will try to pull these resources into one place to make it easier to develop and run high quality races that are consistently high quality. Um, the second awesome. thing that we're doing that. Uh, I, I'm excited about is with the new website, um, you know, things change fast. And most of us now primarily interact with content on the web through our phones. Mm. I mean, it just is. That's real. And so we needed to redesign the website, particularly to be of, of value to the kinds of busy, hardworking endurance athletes that are the core members of, of ultra cycling. Um, the third thing we found out was that was really exciting was from the marketing study, how many people are in ultra cycling that aren't at the very top level, Chris Strasser, Marco Blalo, uh, Joe uh, Gibb, but are there because they want to do something for themselves. Just completing an ultra cycling event is exciting for them. Just coming to the starting line mm. is in many ways almost a lifetime achievement. For, for so many. And so we have to better position ourselves to not only support the high end of the sport, but also to be there as a resource so more people can come to the sport and feel satisfied with that experience. So those are the things we're trying to build there. Yeah, that's exciting. Thanks for sharing that whirlwind tour of what's up and coming. It does sound attractive to someone like myself who enjoys the sport of ultra cycling, but also enjoys the participation from around the globe, which, as you mentioned, there are many races and ultra cycling doesn't just happen here in the United States or in northern uh, North America. And, you know, even on our show, we've made it a point to highlight athletes and event organizers from around the globe and excited to have given a spotlight in Slovenia. Of course, you mentioned Austria. Chris Hopkinson, he lives in the Channel Islands, specifically yep. on Hopkinsy. Yep. Then, of course, we do have American athletes as well. Well, and I want to point out something else. You've shown a couple of illustrations there on prior episodes of the women. Um, right. We all know that in ultra cycling, some of the most kick-ass athletes we've got are the women. And uh, our website is going to have a special area that is devoted to emphasizing that these athletes are strong, they're competitive, and this is a sport that uh, is welcoming. Um, as the sport grows, in many ways, I think it's one of the opportunities where we also saw this in triathlon, where from the very beginning, uh, a built-in misogyny was not present. Uh, and we've seen a, a much quicker uh, embrace of all genders, uh, and we want to see that continue in our sport. There's just no barriers there. And some of our best ultra athletes are the women. In fact, there have been, yeah. as you know, several times where the number one finisher in an ultra race is actually a woman. And that's just, that's freaking cool to me. <laughs> yeah, I would agree. Not just with female ultra athletes, but even with athletes such as yourself who's been at the sport for a long time compared with somebody like me, you know, much younger on the age spectrum. But I know 
in all my years of ultra cycling that you can't judge an ultra cyclist by their age or gender or anything else because you'd be surprised and even the type of bicycle that they ride you know some may look at a recumbent doesn't seem like the standard type you'd think oh that thing can't be competitive but you obviously proved otherwise jason perez has and you're right on our show we've had quite a number of female athletes already and i'm uh, it never fails to amaze me how competitive they are. Same kind of ultra mindset and just as ambitious and just as successful. So it is exciting that Wuka will be focusing on that as well. I will share that we have an upcoming episode with Divya Tate out of India. Mm -hmm. She runs Inspire India, and she has been a huge advocate for the sport in general, especially in India in developing the country for ultra cycling, but especially with female athletes as well. And she was sharing on our episode together that she started a female Audax club for those Rondoneers or Rondonuses in this case uh, <laughs> out there as well. So they're having a lot of fun with that. And and we're glad to support them also. And so glad that you guys have all of that coming up. There's a lot of exciting things. What are you looking to the rest of the ultra cycling community? Like how can all of us as individuals contribute to the sport in general? And how can we partner with WUKA in these efforts that you're undertaking? Um, well, First and most obvious, become a member of the World Ultra Cycling Association. Uh, most of our revenue is driven by members at this time. Uh, we're not, you know, uh, just living off corporate sponsorship dollars. Uh, we uh, uh, that's an important point. Um, as you know, Justin, one of the things that also makes ultra cycling interesting is the collegiality uh, that the athletes have for one another. If you're missing a part in the middle of the race and someone has a spare, they're going to give it to you. If you're out of water and you're still 10 miles and someone's, and you're just weaving on the side of the road, they're, someone's going to stop and say, are you okay? Do you need some water? Mm -hmm. uh, it's an incredibly supportive sport. And I think that all of us hope that the uh, World Ultra Cycling Association be a better home to ultra cyclists to know one another and to connect. Obviously, we'll be trying to use social media in a proper 21st century way, despite all the gray hair some of our board members have. <laughs> um, the, the second thing is um, uh, we want to see the website become a starting point, a point of first destination for people looking to learn about ultra cycling. Um, there are more and more promoters. Uh, and we feel that and, and things like your podcast have been enormously helpful in creating more exposure, but we want them to think, where do I want to go to see the latest podcast? Where do I want to see the new latest uh, record attempts? Uh, where do I learn more about the proper nutrition? And we hope that uh, over the next year or so, the, the website will be a, a first destination for people that are in the sport uh, to see how they're competing in the global challenges. Uh, one thing that makes WUCA's annual challenges so exciting is you literally are racing against the world uh, to have the best overall speed average in 24-hour races. And those could be races that she's offering in India. They can be races that are in Western Europe. They can be races in North America. But we're all competing against one another to be the top. And that's something no one else can offer. And 
we think that that's a spirit of competition that technology is allowing us to envision and execute in a way that's never mm-hmm. before possible. Just when we look at what Zwift has been able to do in just one year of COVID, they went from having no online racing in any material fashion to yesterday when I participated in the team time trial, they have 18 hours of racing serving all corners of the world. Over uh, 600 teams were participating with something like 7,000 athletes. As like, Incredible. what? <laughs> yeah. And you look at Chris Hoppo on Zwift, and he has a Saturday morning rides where he goes out, and I think it's a 200 mile, you know, every other week thing he does. And, yeah. and he'll have 100, 125 people. Right. Uh, we want to see uh, the association become a home to all of that. And to connect people even to other great resources like your podcast so they know that they can go from us to find other things. Yeah, very, very good. It is necessary, I think, for the ultracycling family to have that home that they can go to. There's a lot of useful resources out there available and a lot of great organizations and efforts underway. So it would be nice to be able to link to it all. Now, I did want to quickly just show folks who don't know yet, of course, the website will be redesigned and it will be launching in the next month or two, from my understanding. If you go to ultracycling.com, folks can check out the current website. And you were talking about membership and there is a nice menu here. You could join WUCA, the World Ultra Cycling Association. You can find out about all that information from there. And of course, much much, much more, a lot of other resources. And you also did mention all the records. So you have a nice database here of records, whether somebody's interested in setting one themselves or if they just wanted to see the records that have been set already, both on an individual basis to search a certain person, point-to-point records, for example, from one uh, going across a state in a certain direction from different cities, distance records. Of course, there's the timed records. And, you know, we have an episode coming up very shortly where um, a very recent and uh, kind of gold standard record was uh, actually broken and set by Stanko Verstovshek uh, just earlier in October. And that was the 24-hour outdoor road record. So that's super exciting. And we've seen a lot of that. And you've seen a lot. And Mark Poland, the president of WUCA, shared that with us uh, many episodes ago that because of the pandemic, it's actually driven a lot of people from canceled events to turning their attention, energy, fitness towards setting some kind of world record themselves, right? Yep. Uh, in fact, we set a, a new event this year, which is the Hammer Week, which is uh, uh, the opportunity for an athlete over a seven 24-hour day period to set a world record for the total mileage that they complete ah, in those seven days. Nice. And to make sure that uh, an event like RAM is not part of that, uh, mm-hmm. you can only use one, up to 24 hours of an organized event. So for mm-hmm. example, you could ride Sebring and then continue to ride for six more days, but you can't just you know bundle in the extraordinary support and efforts that, that are involved in the week-long, you know, multi-week races. Greatly enjoyed uh, your taking an interest in the story and association uh, and just want to see you continue to, to help build the sport the way you're doing so magnificently. So thank you for all of that. Yeah, most definitely. We'll be chatting more as we uh, go along, Jeffrey. Pleasure chatting with you and we hope to have you on the show again soon. Best wishes with everything developing there at WUCA and 
just as an outro here that I'll give here. Sure. I hope everyone there watching from home has enjoyed today's episode, learned a lot, but also got some inspiration. If you've suffered from an accident or you're still recovering, going through some physical therapy, don't give up and, you know, learn to get comfortable with being uncomfortable and know that you can make a full recovery just like Jeffrey did. We hope to see you out on the roads being competitive and can't wait to see you at the ultracycling.com website, getting connected with the whole world and the whole family of ultracycling. So until next episode, everyone, keep spinning ultra.